Welcome to B Squared, your weekly weather podcast. Meet Bonnie. She's from Oklahoma. Where the wind comes sweeping down the plain. A meteorology major and loves to chase. Meet Bobby. He's from Oregon. Going green. Greenage. Saddle up. You got it, boss. Oregon AMS vice president and a former TV weather producer. It's B Squared. Let's talk weather. Welcome into B Squared, your weekly weather podcast. I am Bobby in Oregon. And I'm Bonnie in Oklahoma. Bonnie, first of all, happy birthday. Happy birthday to you. Thank you. Uh, It's not my physical real life birthday, nor yours, but B Squared, your weekly weather podcast is three years old. So congratulations. We're We're getting so old. We're growing up so fast. Right? I'm just like, oh my gosh, we're, we're no longer a toddler. Or are we? Right. Well, I don't know. It kind of depends. Yeah. But nonetheless, um, happy third birthday. We are going to celebrate this week and next week. Um, next week will be our 156th episode of B Squared, your weekly weather podcast, which is technically a three-year mark. But <clears throat> just due to calendar conflicts and everything else, uh, we are celebrating our physical third-year birthday. Uh, third-year birthday three-year-old birthday this weekend. So uh, a week of festivities coming up. So that's going to be awesome. I'm looking forward to that a lot. I'm proud of us. We've been here for three years. Yes. Crushing it. Most podcasts, just so you know, on the national average, last an average of roughly six weeks. Wow. Tony, it just takes dedication. It does. And we're just big weather nerds, so we like to talk about it uh, and make everybody else listen to it. <laughs> exactly. And that's what we love. Well, speaking of big things, uh, Bonnie, we have a Cat 4 and not in the Atlantic, so no need to freak out on the coast of Florida or New Orleans or Texas or anywhere up the East Coast seaboard, but oh boy, <laughs> so bad. <laughs> So bad. You're going to unleash the floodgates. Oh, the here, Felicia floodgates. Oh, here come, here come all the bad jokes. Major Hurricane Felicia is churning away in the Pacific. So let's just say it now. Bye, Felicia. Right. Well, not quite yet, but she's on her way out. When she is, we're going to be all, bye, Felicia, because that's what we do. It is. (laughs) Because that's exactly what is going to happen. She is a major hurricane right now. She's a cat four. Latest update has her with sustained winds of 130 miles an hour, currently moving west northwest at 12 miles an hour, central pressure down to 954 millibars. So Felicia is a big storm. She's out there doing her thing, but she's not affecting anything, which is good. She is literally affecting shipping channels in the Pacific. Which can be dealt with. So, yes. you know, that's that's good. Um, I'm glad she's not going to impact anything, but I'm kind of sad that that's the only action going on, you know? Right. It's tropical season. Like, where are we at? What are we doing? Right. So maximum sustained winds have decreased to 130. She is a cat four on the Saffir Simpson scale. Some additional weakening is forecasted to start today. By the time we get into midweek, Felicia will have gone by. And she will have dropped into just a hurricane, then a tropical storm, and then into a depression. There is no risk to Hawaii. Uh, The remnants of Felicia will miss the islands to the south by several hundred miles. So no need to worry about, you know, anything going on on the big island with an incoming major hurricane. So that's good. 
But on the heels of that, you have Tropical Storm Guillermo. And Guillermo is going to follow on the path of Felicia and probably just sit there and churn and not really do a whole heck of a lot. If a hurricane comes up shortly behind one in the same area, is that water conducive or has the previous storm churned it up or is that not how ocean water works no the previous I guess it's always flowing yeah it's always flowing but the previous ocean the previous storm does churn colder water up from the depths and that is why if you look at the forecast cone and the track of guillermo it's only forecasted to remain a tropical storm because you don't have that warm water underneath to help fuel it so yes if you have storms that do you know, we call it training with thunderstorms where they move over the same area time and time again. Um, with you get that with the tropical systems, you get that and it does up well the colder ocean water. And so you lose the heat of the sea surface and a storm does not have the uh, potential energy to continue to form. And that particular area of the ocean just needs a little more time to heat back up. Yes. So, okay. Well, boom. See, science. Yeah, we will take it. Absolutely, we will take it. Uh, and Guillermo is several hundred miles behind Felicia, but again, the forecast track puts it right into the area where Felicia is now. And again, at a Cat 4 and sustained winds of 130 miles an hour, that's a lot of movement that's happening not only in the mid-atmosphere and the lower atmosphere, but also at the very top of the ocean. So, yeah, yeah that cold water is being churned up. And from where Felicia is forecast to go, the water is not as warm, so conditions are not going to be as conducive. But um, it's always nice to see a cat four out in the Pacific, especially when it's not doing anything. Yeah, exactly. It's cool to just see it do its thing and not have to worry about uh, it hurting anybody. Exactly. And that's the best part. We like, listen, we love an EF5 tornado. We love cat fours and five hurricanes, but we love them when there's nothing happening with them. Exactly. We just want to see them themselves not the destruction that they create right and again this thing is beautiful on satellite you want to look at a textbook storm with great outflow pull up a satellite photo of felicia because it looks like a buzzsaw and it is very pretty and the fact that it's not affecting anything makes it even more awesome i've seen lots and lots of infrared and satellite of of her eye and the eye looks very smooth and crisp and very pretty very round it is very round, and I feel bad because we are going to be losing it, and it's going to start to weaken here, but uh, we'll start to see the eye start to fill in a little bit, uh, maybe get some high clouds over top of the eye, and at that point, you know she's starting to weaken. But it's tropical season. Hopefully, it won't be the last Cat 4 we see, but you never know. Well, and now we've said something, so now it's going to happen. <laughs> yep. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Not really. It's what we do. <laughs> that is true. That is what we do. Well, Bonnie, speaking of destruction, um, I want to talk about the bootleg fire, which is a mega fire that is burning in southern Oregon. Uh, It is a complex, which means it was initially made up of several smaller fires that have joined together to become one. And I'm pulling up the latest information on this. The bootleg fire. Last reported acreage this morning, 273,582 acres. Wow. Now, do they have any idea of like homes or structures that are in all that or is it or is it not affecting anything like that? I will tell you right now, let me pull up more information. But a fire is classified as a mega fire when it reaches a hundred thousand acres. Oh, 
So this is like a mega mega fire. Yeah, so this is like a double mega fire, if you want to call mega it that. Squared. Right. Um, actually, the information just came in a minute ago, so that's good. Uh, it's now up to two hundred ninety-eight thousand six hundred sixty-two acres. Wow. Almost three hundred thousand. It will be. It will cross three hundred thousand acres today, uh, which is oh. huge. Containment now is finally at twenty-two percent. So if if you know anything about wildland fire, they ask, well, does that mean that twenty percent of the fire is is like out? No, that means of the anticipated fire line, they've contained only twenty two percent of it. Oh. So that really, you know, that leaves seventy eight percent of the fire still burning unattended. Now, obviously, what you that, need is you need Felicia to come through and drop some rain. Oh my God! Yeah, without the wind. Yeah, true. No wind. We just want we'll say the rain. No wind. Uh, but yeah. this thing, this thing is huge, and uh, I've seen a lot of like satellite and and mm-hmm. stuff, of seeing the smokes and and different areas that reignite regularly, and you can just see that on satellite and radar, and I, that's it's so scary. I can't even imagine. It is, and again, we're currently looking now at over two thousand firefighters on scene trying to battle this. It is the largest fire currently burning in the United States right now. Uh, earlier this week, it had several days where it ran at least 30 miles, which means that it actually, like, the line of fire ran and jumped 30 miles. Wow. So the fire traveled from point A to point B in 30 miles, and it's just, it is. And you just, you don't see that a lot. Um, wind and dry winds were sorry wind and dry temperatures were the main force of that and it's just absolutely incredible to see fire run that fast and burn that hot and it is just it's torching everything in this path what is in its path anything not a whole lot um there are homes that are threatened most of that though is outbuildings and small areas that the really nice thing about this fire if you can say there is a nice fire is it is burning in an area that is not well inhabited that's good yeah and so you know that is that is the saving grace there is a small little fire out ahead of it that most likely this fire will catch up to and join so you'll be able to get hopefully some containment there because um, once a fire reaches a burn spot it doesn't it continue it will burn around it but it's not you know, it can't burn through vegetation that's already been burned. So that that is kind of a blessing. Um, Interesting. It, yep, it's burning uh, in national forest land, and that again is kind of the saving grace, where there are some cabins and there are some structures in there, but it's only a handful. And so firefighters yeah. are actively trying to protect that as much as they can. So um, honestly, a lot of the forecasters that I've talked to, you know, privately and you know, off the record have said, Bobby, this storm's not going to be out until we get snowfall or until the fall arrives and we get heavy rain. Wow. So, so it'll just be a battle for the next several months. Basically. Yeah. Yep. It's just going to be battle trying to keep structure safe, trying to contain it as much as they can. Um, the forecast doesn't look great going forward. We have a couple days of dry thunderstorms forecast for that region. So a lot more lightning strikes with no precip falling. So that is always a recipe for disaster. And we've already seen spot fires up and down the Cascades, east and west of them, actually, uh, because of dry lightning. So it's just kind of everybody's living on uh, pins and needles right now, trying to 
avoid another major fire catastrophe. Have they sent those planes in with any? It's not water that those planes drop because it's red. Right. Whatever it's, it is. It's fire retardant. There are aircraft working it. Um, unfortunately, the giant, like the 747 super tanker, which is a great tool to have. Um, unfortunately, the U.S. Forest Service and the California Department of Fire did not renew a contract with them this year. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it's a it's a pretty heated, you know, source of contention among people in the fire community. Uh, that the federal government decided not to renew a contract. And again, I'm not privy to any conversations within contract negotiations between the federal government and wildland firefighting. It's not my thing. I'm just, you know, passing along the information that I, that I see and I read. And it just, it seems completely crazy to me. But again. Yeah, because it's not like it's new. Like you guys have serious fires pretty much yearly. And so it's not like oh, this is a freak thing that rarely happens, so we don't need to spend this kind of money. Like, no, it's pretty common, so right, so weird. <laughs> um, updated information in terms of you were asking about residents threatened and how that worked. Um, there are currently 3,100 residences, nine of them damaged, 67 of them destroyed. Uh, other structures that are threatened, there have been five damaged and 117 destroyed. Now, obviously, we do not know uh, outside of the residences, what these other buildings are. But, I mean, you have 3,000 residences that are uh, in harm's way at any given point with this fire. And if we've only lost 67 of them, I, I don't want to say that's a win, but it's better than the alternative and having 3,000 of them, you know, burned to the ground. Um, well, and 67 homes out of 300,000 acres, like, that's right. better right. than other scenarios and again that just tells you that it's burning in an area that's not heavily inhabited yeah by humans so that's a good thing um it's burning in timber and brush that's very dry this area hasn't seen a fire in a very long time so i guarantee you that there's a lot of underbrush that is dry and is you know a big source of this fire so it's a uh, it's intense they have 14 helicopters working on it they have 186 engine crews working on this and 43 fire crews working in it. And again, that's part of the 2,000 overall firefighters that are currently working the bootleg fire. Well, you know, just to pull a tiny silver lining is that for nature itself, fires are good. Right. It helps clean the land and get a fresh start for trees and other types of things. So it is good for the land. It's just not good for the people and the animals. Right. So there's that. I'm reading a, uh, I'm just reading the summary that came out this morning just to kind of get an update on it. They expect containment, which I think is, you know, is a good goal to have by the 27th of July. So that means they would have a fire line all the way around this fire. So that's good. And then they can just kind of post up around that line and just, keep it sprayed and keep it in that circle exactly. or whatever. Exactly. And so that's that's the goal. Will that happen? I don't know. We will find out. Um, that's got to be hard to predict. You it know? is. Like, by this date, we expect to have the fire contained. Like People say that forecasting weather is crazy and hard to wrap your head around, but I mean, predicting fire is really hard for me to wrap my head around. <laughs> right. 
Forecast today, like I talked about, dry thunderstorms in the area. And with the expected containment, hopefully next week, hopefully we don't get any fire starts. Um, and those of you that aren't familiar with wildland firefighting, I'll just give you uh, just kind of an, over, uh, an overview. Just because it says that there's containment, you know, any percentage, and like I said, it's all about building that initial firewall and keeping it, or that fire block to keep the fire from jumping. Obviously, stuff is pushed with the wind, and so you might have a, an area of containment that's at 22%, but the fire's nowhere near it. The fire's already burned off to the east or off to the north. So you just have the containment that if it were to the winds were ever to switch, it wouldn't be able to burn back on itself. So right. that's what it means when they sit there and say, oh, okay, that's how many 22% are contained. So that's a good thing. So they're just doing it. They say evacuations are rapidly changing due to the nature of this wildfire. Please uh, visit this website for an interactive map on evacuation level in Lake and Klamath counties. Um, the Fremont will... Uh, the Fremont National Forest is closed to the public in the fire area. Map and full orders are available at the incident website. Um, smoke, again, this thing is churning out a crap ton of smoke. You see any yeah. satellite uh, picture of this fire, and it is intense. And at 300,000 acres actively burning, that's a lot of smoke. That's a lot of area yeah. that is producing a lot of smoke. And that's going to impact, you know, air quality and a whole lot of things. And I, I would think temperature, I would think smoke would help hold in heat. I don't know yep. really how smoke works, but you know, I mean, it's so going to have impacts far away from the fire. Itself. Right. Smoke well. in the atmosphere actually can keep ground temperature down because it reflects so much of the, of the sun's energy back out into space. Okay. Um, thick smoke does thin smoke yeah. um, can have a, little bit of a cooling effect, but not much, but the thick smoke does. Um, we saw that last year here in Portland, we talked about on the show in September when we had those Labor Day fires come in and we had the smoke initially from uh, the fires in eastern and central Oregon come down through the gorge and it socked us in and our air quality was garbage and, you know, they were closing businesses left and right. Um, our temperature one day was forecasted to be like 96 or 97 and with the smoke sitting on top of us, we barely got to 70. Wow. So, yeah, the thicker the smoke, the more of the sun's energy does not reach it. So that was, to me, that was pretty fantastic. Yeah, that's super interesting. So, I mean, I guess that's that's also a little bit of silver lining, especially because it looks like you guys are supposed to continue to be above average yep. for a while. Yep. As as temperatures. Tem- yep, temperatures and lack of precip. Um, I saw somewhere that if the month of July is still forecast to have no precipitation fall on it. In Portland. Wow. So that is yet to be seen. And if it does happen, that is a record. But uh, fingers crossed that we do not reach that stage because I, I would like some, some you know, <laughs> I would definitely like some rain at some point. Maybe just a sprinkle yeah. or two. I was going to say, even just some sprinkles, like give us something. But they won't. So that's the update this morning on the bootleg fire. It is pretty intense um and not to digress too quickly here but out here on the west coast and i know some other places where you have uh wildland fires you know every fire gets a name right it's usually somewhere you know based off a geographic reference or a location 
Mm-hmm. You know, there are a lot of creeks out here in the Northwest, a lot of mountain valleys and stuff and have little creeks here and there. So you have like the Lick Creek Fire, which is a terrible name. <laughs> you have the Elbow Creek Fire. You have the Cub Creek Fire. You have the Cedar Creek Fire and the Chihuahua Creek Fire. Well, we had a fire either in Tillamook County or extreme Western Washington County where I live. And they really wanted to name it the idiot Creek fire, but changed the name last minute. Oh, they should have, because I'm sure it was some idiot that started the fire. It it was, it was somebody playing with fireworks in a national forest. Do those people get arrested when they find them? Yes, they do. If they find them. Yes. Um, the biggest, like, thing that we can talk about that in terms of you know people having to pay a price and stuff so uh three or four years ago the columbia river gorge caught fire over the fourth of july weekend um some kid threw in a uh a sparkler or like a ground bloom flower down into this ravine just being stupid and the thing caught fire and ended up doing a lot of damage to the gorge it's caused uh, a numerous uh, or numerous groups of people to have to hike out several miles on an adjacent trail to avoid the fire. Um, And it did hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions of dollars worth of damage to business and ecology and a whole number of things. And within an hour and a half of this fire starting, they knew who did it. Wow. The county sheriff was on site, took the kid's name, and, you know, basically the names never come out because he was a minor at the time. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the court case that came and went, the amount of money that this kid is supposed to repay is is substantial. And they had a report the last couple of weeks that, this this guy is actually making payments. He'll never be able to repay the full amount of restitution that was ordered from the judge. I mean, just, you know, it, it it's almost physically impossible sans this guy becoming a, a billionaire, basically. Yeah, like hitting the lottery or yeah, something. Yeah, exactly, or creating some, you know, mega company or whatever. But he has been making payments, regular monthly payments, uh, Per the court order. And again, the court order sealed, so we don't know how much those payments are. We don't know what the, the guy's name is. But apparently, since he, I believe he was 16, he was 15 or 16 when he, I'm going to have to pull this up real quick because I want to make sure I get this right. But long story short, he's not going to be having to, he won't have to pay for the rest of his life. Like, there's a time frame where he will pay. But let me find out here. Wow. I mean, I get it. Like the amount of money is not repayable, but like, that's it. Like there's no like impact on his life other than his monthly payment of, I know, I don't know what it could be. Maybe it's a thousand dollars or 1500 or maybe it's 150. Who knows? But that's it. Yeah. It's, it's something like that. Okay. So he was 15 years old at the time. Um, September 5th. Oregon State Police announced they had identified the person suspected of starting the wildfire uh, through the use of fireworks that were illegally set off um, as a 15-year-old boy from Clark County, Washington, resided in the city of Vancouver. Witnesses saw 
a group of teenagers recording the fireworks being lit and then thrown into the Eagle Creek Canyon. So, you know, and then we fast forward to all this information that this kid is going to end up having to pay. Um, let me find out. Okay, here it is. Few, if any, according to KETU.com, the ABC affiliate here in town, says few, if any, expected a 15-year-old kid to pay $37 million in restitution, but that was part of the sentencing after the teen admitted to tossing fireworks into the brush in the Columbia River Gorge, which resulted in the start of the Eagle Creek Fire in 2017. Hood River County District Attorney says a young man, now 19, has been making regular monthly payments for years and continues to do so. Since he was a juvenile at the time, the records remain sealed, so is isn't known how much those monthly payments are. The United States Forest Service is supposed to get $21 million in restitution, the Oregon Department of Transportation more than $12 million, State Fire and Marshall a million, and Union Pacific Railroad a million. Chief of the Corbett Fire Department says they haven't seen any restitution money, but that's not surprising. Quote, yeah, we definitely could use it, and I'm not sure what people who are getting it are using it for, but we haven't gotten any money from it, said Dave Flood. He's happy to hear the young man who started the fire is trying to make amends and believes that he didn't deserve jail time despite the millions of dollars of damage and tens of thousands of acres burned. So, Carrie Rasmussen is the Hood River County District Attorney and tells K2 News that the young man has completed a good chunk of his sentence of 1,920 hours of community service and written over 150 letters of apology. After 10 oh. years, if the restitution payments are made in a timely manner and no other crimes committed, those payments could end. So, that's a good thing. But Yeah, yeah. I guess he's learning his lesson, but... Dumb teenagers. <laughs> right. Now, I found this, uh, this was the last sentence of the story, and I found this one, and this was very interesting. It says, in general, state accountants say few people who owe restitution pay it in full, and less than half make payments or no payments at all. Wow. Yeah. So what is the point of sentencing someone to pay restitution if, if it's not enforceable? Or if you're not going to enforce it. Well, it's enforceable. It's just you can't necessarily make them do it. Or they don't. They have to cooperate, basically. Well, I'm sure they have to make enough money to do it. Right. Just, but just I don't know. Like That just seems like an empty sentence. There should be an alternative then if money is not an option. Agreed. I agreed. I'm 100% with you. So... Just, it's it's crazy to me. Yeah. But at least, yeah, at least get, this kid is getting it. So. Right, right. And you look at the severe, you know, you look at the Storm Prediction Center's fire weather forecast and outlook for today. Elevated chances in southern Oregon. Um, the eastern two-thirds of the state of Oregon are in an elevated, isolated, dry thunderstorm risk. The Almost the entire state of Idaho is in that risk. Portions of western Montana and Wyoming in that risk. There's an elevated fire risk for... Uh, portions of north central Oregon. There's critical and elevated for portions of eastern Montana down into eastern Wyoming. So fire season is not going away anytime soon. Yeah. You guys are just getting started with it, it seems like. Yep, we are, and it's it's early. But with no rainfall, yeah. there's your there's your big issue. Now speaking of rainfall, you guys had some storms come through the last couple of days that were pretty freaking impressive. Yeah, we've had some off and on storms um, just over the last week or so, and that'll continue. 
nothing really impressive yesterday. We had a pretty interesting line come through, and it had a very um, pronounced gust front across the whole thing. It was really, like, it looked great on radar. I sent you a GIF of that. Right. Um, the only no- annoying thing about that line is it split right before it got to more and then reconnected right as it went past more. So I just got this, the leftover, like, stratiform rain behind it. I didn't get the the line itself, so I was pretty disappointed about that. I was like, "What is this? Is there a bubble over us? Like, what is this? We're just split and then reconnected." <sighs> well, maybe you guys really do have a dome over more. We must. It's so weird. It like moves. Like sometimes it's over Norman, and sometimes it's over more. It must just be like <laughs> in this county or something. <laughs> oh, it totally happens. We have we joke around here that we have it over the city of Portland or wherever my friend Jeff lives. It's his dome, and it's it's quite hilarious. Jeff Dome. Yep, it's the Jeff Dome. We used to call it the Felony Flats Dome, but then, you know, he moved out of Felony Flats, so. The Dimsdale Dimmodome? Mm, something like that, yeah. Do you know what that's from? No. Fairly Odd Parents. Ah, never seen it. Oh, my gosh. That is a classic Nickelodeon show. Fairly Odd Parents, I highly recommend that you watch some of it. It's pretty legit. I'm sorry, I've never seen it. Okay, well, you're missing out. I'm sorry. Apparently so. Sorry, your life is empty. <laughs> it is. Uh, <laughs> but you know what? The forecast is not empty. What do you guys have coming up in Oklahoma City? Um, 90s for the most part for the next week, off and on rain chances um, with some storms sprinkled in. Nothing really severe or exciting, but, you know, I'll take mid-90s in July with some rain chances. I'm, I'm good with that. Sounds good. Out here in the Pacific Northwest, rinse and repeat. Sunny and dry, no chance of precip for the next 14 days. So we could be looking at, a, like I said, a completely dry July, uh, but that is to be seen. Temperatures today, going to top out in the mid-80s. Tomorrow we're going to go for maybe 85, and then the temperature backs off into the lower 80s, upper 70s for the foreseeable future. So not too bad. Well, here's hoping you get some rain. Yes, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Well, another great edition of B-Squared, your weekly weather podcast. We are celebrating this week our third anniversary. So thank you guys each and every week for tuning in and listening with us. We do appreciate it. I am Bobby in Oregon. And I'm Bonnie in Oklahoma. And we will save a piece of cake for you guys next week. That's right. Bye.